Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. For those who I do not know, my name is Nick, and I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New Vision. And as always, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to open up God's Word with some friends and some family today. And I hear that we have the Riverdale basketball team in the house. Is this? Y'all are the, y'all right here, right? Y'all could clap for them because that's awesome. <laughs> uh, so we're always glad. Thank you, Coach Voss, for bringing the guys to hang out, and thank you for investing and raising young men and not just great basketball players. We appreciate that. Um, forgive me, I'm a little bit hoarse today. I got the opportunity to go hang out with the college ministry as they are on retreat at Horton Haven, and Dakota, our college pastor, texted me and told me that seven college students said yes to Jesus, and 13 of those college students on retreat want to get baptized. So that's kind of, praise be to God for what he is doing. Um, It's so exciting to see what God is doing here at New Vision. And as we dive into Acts, as we continue to talk about how the church is still being unleashed, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10 there. You can go ahead and turn to your Bibles, your phones, whatever it is you read God's word with. And so as I was reading Acts 10 and preparing for it, I realized that really what we're going to see in Acts is that they're talking about food, but God is really painting the picture about something else. So we're going to see that this thing was really about that thing. And as I was thinking about that thought, that this is really about that, it kind of took me back to my childhood. Now, I grew up in a very, uh, I was going to say normal home, but I don't know if you realize this, your home in normal, Right. And you realize that when you go to somebody else's house and you go, oh, everyone doesn't do that. Okay. Um, But I thought my house was normal, but it's okay. Everybody's house is weird. And I remember growing up as a kid, you know, doing normal kid things, I would break stuff on occasion. And I always felt like my mom's response was so strong. She would always get so upset, and she would go around the house saying, I just can't have nothing nice. I just can't have nothing nice. And as a kid, I was just like, what is wrong with you? It was just a refrigerator. Come on now. But yet she would go around doing that. And so the older I got, the more I realized that it wasn't just about us breaking stuff, that it really ran deeper than I ever knew. So the more I got to know my mom, I got to realize that in the house that she was raised in, she was raised by her aunt because her mother was unable to raise her. But her household was always a household where she never felt like she belonged. Her family would sometimes tell her that, hey, you know that without us, you would be on the street. And so she grew up never believing that anything was hers. She thought that she was always a renter. And so that when she kind of grew up and was able to establish her own house, she finally had stuff. And so the stuff meant more than just stuff. It was the fact that she had finally found a home where she could rest and relax. And so I realized that her strong reactions weren't just about me breaking stuff, but it truly was about something much, much bigger. And we're going to see in Acts chapter 10 that Peter's going to have a conversation about some food, but really the issue is much bigger than food. This is really about that. And as we begin to dive into Acts chapter 10, what's going on? We're going to meet a guy named Cornelius. 
Cornelius is an Italian guy. He's a Roman centurion, and so he's in the north part of Judea. The people there in Judea don't like him because he is a foreign guy that is ruling over them. So they really didn't like him. But we're going to see that Cornelius came in contact with God somehow, and his heart had affection towards God, the God of the Israelites. And so we're going to see this, but we're also going to see Peter kind of dealing with something. And this story found in Acts 10 is going to be really important because we're going to see it referred to in Acts 11 and Acts 15. And really, Acts 10 is really the turning point. So before this moment, we, the gospel has continued to kind of spread out, and we came in contact with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and we're going to see that it went to Samaria, and, and it's starting to creep out. But the gospel is about to go to a truly Gentile people who had no reference, who had no relationship with the nation of Israel or the Jewish people. And so we're going to see what God's word is able to do as it's fulfilled, as it continues to go to the ends of the earth. So Acts chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So you would think that Cornelius, being a Roman centurion, being from an Italian background, that he would serve the same gods that other Romans would serve, that he had many gods for many different reasons. But that is not who Cornelius is. So we cannot judge a book by its cover. My mom would tell me that all the time, and we will see this in the rhythm of God's word. God gets to choose who he uses. God is making a call and a plea to everyone. So we cannot judge a book by its cover. Not only did Cornelius have an affection towards God, but he also was giving alms and making like way for people to have what they need. And so not only did he have this affection, but he also acted out of that. And he would give to the poor, and he would pray to God. And yet, how did this happen? Because you wouldn't think that a guy like Cornelius would be able to have this kind of affection towards God. But yet again, we're going to see in the rhythm of the passages we're going to read today is that God is a God of all people. Verse 3. One day, at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. And distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. Let's pause right here for just a second. Why was Cornelius afraid? For one, angels were intimidating everybody. They weren't these cute like, oh, look at me, I'm a little baby angel. No, they're like, oh, I will kill you. That's what kind of... This is what angels were. And angels typically are known for bringing two kinds of messages. One is a pretty positive message, like, hey... God has seen you. There is favor among men. The other is, you got to go, brother. You got to go. And so Cornelius wasn't sure what kind of message this was. And so Cornelius is afraid, which is a fitting response. It goes on to say this. What is it, Lord? He asked the angel, answered. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them 
to Joppa. What I love about this is, for one, Cornelius is immediately obedient. Immediately. He doesn't ask a bunch of questions. He doesn't go, well, God, why? You know I'm busy. I got to go here. I got to do that. No, he's immediately obedient. And also what I noticed in this passage is this, is that God sent an angel in a vision, but he's going to use a man to preach the gospel. And Brady mentioned this last week, that angels would bring messages, but they wouldn't spread the gospel or preach the gospel to people. Why? Because angels had no idea what redemption looked like. They had always been angels. They were not in need of redemption. And so God uses his people who have tasted and seen that God is good and that God redeems even the most broken of things to share his message of the gospel and redemption and restoration. So meanwhile, while Cornelius is having this vision and having this conversation with this angel, good old Peter is going to have a vision from God as well. And Peter, bless his heart, right? He's the guy that denied Christ. He's the guy that would put his foot in his mouth so often, but yet God still desired to use him. And we're going to see with Peter that sometimes we drift back to what's comfortable. And so it says this in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. About noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. Let me go ahead and say, if you're hungry, you probably shouldn't try to pray because you're going to be distracted. You'll be like, Lord, did I hear you say you want me to go fix a sandwich? Amen. Let's go. He became hungry and wanted to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So this vision that Peter gets, it's almost like a tablecloth is being descended from heaven and all kind of animals, all kind of birds, all kind of reptiles are on this tablecloth. And the voice from heaven says, hey, go and eat. Listen, I'm telling you what. See, Peter is a Jewish person, so he never ate of pork because it was viewed as unclean. But God just said, Peter, go to the buffet and eat whatever you want. The brother could go and grab a rib, everybody. Praise God. I'm telling you what. If God gave me a vision to go and eat, yes, Lord, I'm going to walk in your ways. Yes. But here's the thing we have to understand. It's not just about the ribs, y'all. What God is displaying through this vision is much, much bigger than just food. This is definitely about something bigger. Because here's the deal. Jesus had already said through his life that the food was clean. We see this in Mark chapter 7. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me. Everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? That's what Jesus said. He asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all of the foods clean. Jesus goes, listen, it's not about the food you eat that makes you unclean. It's about what's in the heart. 
because the heart is dirty, because the heart is unclean, that is truly what defiles you. So why were there stipulations for the nation of Israel and the Jewish people of what they should eat? It says this in Leviticus chapter 11. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, say to the Israelites, of all the animals that live on the land, these are the ones you may eat. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof and that chews the cud. So why was God so specific about what his chosen people ate? Because of this. He wanted to set them apart. Because they were going to go to different places. They were going to go conquer different lands. And he wanted to set them apart. He wanted the nation of Israel to know not only were they the people of God, but you were going to see that by what they ate and the rules in which they followed. So it was all about setting apart the nation of Israel from everybody else. That is why. But here's the deal. We are now set apart through the Holy Spirit. Because God has put the Spirit within us, that sets us apart and makes us more like himself. So it's not about what we do or don't eat. It's more so about who is within us. And what began to happen with the nation of Israel and the Jewish people were they would look down on other people. They would look at people that ate unclean food as unclean people. And so they almost carried it as a badge of honor. Like, hey, here's what we don't eat. We are better than you. Hey, here's what we don't do. We are better than you. And so they held up what they didn't do instead of holding up who God was. And they used this thing that they didn't do or what they refrained from, from letting everybody know that they were less than them. And God is going to reveal through us in just a moment, through a conversation he has with Peter, that, listen, it's not just about unclean food. It's about the people which eat the unclean food. I'm doing a new thing. Verse 14. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. Oh, Peter said no again. Shocking. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Did you notice that? Peter goes, easy, 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 Holy Spirit. I'm clean. I've never eaten anything bad. I'm a good person. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Y'all should, should underline that. That's a good word. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. How many times did the Holy Spirit have to speak to Peter about eating unclean food? Say, don't, be, don't be shy. Three times. This is Peter's number, y'all. Like, and you would think that Peter would have learned. It is easy for us to point the finger at Peter and be like, Peter, why don't you get it? Peter, do you remember when you were out in the garden in front of where Jesus was being, you know, talking to that, that you shouldn't keep denying Jesus? And that was three times. And Jesus asked him when he reinstated him, Jesus, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Like three, he should get three. Okay, don't say no. Don't say no. But what does Peter do? Nope, I'm not eating it, Jesus. Psh. And here's the thing. It's easy to point our finger, but we all drift towards what is comfortable. All of us. We can have this life-changing moment, and we can know what we know that what we know, but yet, if kept unchecked, we all have the tendency to drift towards back what is comfortable. So this is Peter. I'm going to drift back towards what's comfortable, and I feel like I'm right. I feel like I know better. I feel like I know what I'm doing. 
And yet he's going to get new information. Verse 17. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the man sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, look at the timing of this. The spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the man, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The man replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the man into the house to be his guest. Notice that these visitors say, hey, the guy who sent us is a friend of the Jewish people. Also, an angel of God told us to come because these visitors knew that going to a Jewish person's house, they would not be allowed in. And so they started with this. Hey, I want you to know God sent us. It's okay. And then Peter does something that is audacious. He invites Gentile men to come into his home. That did not happen. That was not the way the Jewish laws were written. That was not supposed to happen. But here is the beautiful thing. Through the gospel of Jesus being spread throughout the world and even to Gentiles, it shows us that the cross of Christ is the great equalizer. That the foot of the cross is level ground. That we are all invited to be a part of what God is doing. So, yes, it's about what the gospel is going to do, but it's also what we see in Acts 10. It's also about Peter laying down some ways he thought life should go and recognizing that it doesn't matter where you're from or what you look like. The gospel is for everybody. And so Peter was able to see that he just had a vision that, hey, all food is now clean. So are the people who eat what was unclean. God is going, hey, Peter, I want you to know how you used to view people is no longer correct because all are invited to dine at my table. And so Peter obeys finally. He recognizes that God was up to something. So a few years back, I got invited to go do a youth retreat in Cairo, Georgia, or Cairo, Georgia. Depends on where you're from is how you say it. It's kind of like Buchanan and Buchanan, all right? It's the same kind of deal. So I get invited down to Cairo, Georgia, or Cairo, Georgia, and we're riding down, and we were driving down on the RV. Never been on the RV before. It was the last time I was on the RV, too. It's, I mean, it's fine. Great. Woo. Anyways, so we get down there, and we're talking. We have some students from our ministry that are with us. They're going to play some instruments. The people who lead worship for our students are leading this retreat, leading us in musical worship, and things are going well. We're talking. We're excited about the opportunity. I'm excited about the opportunity. And so we finally arrive in Cairo, Georgia, and I step off of the bus. And the people, the organizers of the event, when I stepped off of the RV, I felt that the air got taken out of the room. It was like, <gasps> and I thought, man, they are overwhelmed by how good looking I am. I know it throws people off. Like, and then I thought, well, maybe like I'm wearing an Adidas hat and Nike shoes, which you should never do, right? 
Some of y'all are like, you can't do that. No, don't do that. And so I didn't think much of it. And so we continue and we go, we do the service, the one nine, and it feels kind of weird. But I notice in the crowd that nobody looks like me. Not a one. No one even had kind of a tan in the room. Like it was, I mean, it was melanin deficient, everybody. It was like, ah. And I noticed that. I was like, okay, that's weird. There's nothing, like nobody. That's okay, here we go. But I didn't think much of it. I was like, you know what? The God opened this opportunity. I'm just going to step into it. I'm going to preach his word and see what God does. The next night, some students come to know Jesus, and that's exciting, and we're celebrating that. And I remember walking off the stage that second night, and I'm walking off the stage, and there's an older white gentleman that is walking towards me. And I didn't know, like sometimes when people approach you when you walk off stage, you're not sure what they're about to do because you're like, did you not like what I said? Are you about to trip me? Like what's going down, right? And so like my approach was like, listen, I will punch an old person. I will. Like that's kind of like, my approach. I was like, we're going to do this? Let's do it, right? And so, <laughs> and so he's walking towards me and I'm thinking, oh, man, if I, okay, I'll repent. It'll be okay. So, so he comes up to me and he says this to me. And, I, and when people meet me, I typically... Ext- Put my hand out, right? Like, hello, friend. We're going to be friends, right? He didn't respond. He didn't put his hand out. I put my hand out. He did not put his hand out. I was like, that's kind of rude, but that's okay. I'm praying for you. Maybe you didn't listen to the message. But uh, then he says this to me. He says, you know, that was pretty good for a black guy. And I said, Because, listen, I, I, listen I, th- I think sometimes we think that, man, pastors, they're so holy. Listen, I was about to act in the flesh, everybody. Because I was offended because what he was saying to me was, even though you were less than, you still were able to preach God's word. And I, y'all, like, it just raised, I was, I'm about to kill. Um, and so when I was about to respond in the flesh, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, not in an audible voice, but just this prompting. And this is what the prompting told me. Hey, Nick, if you respond in the flesh right now, you're going to give evidence to what he already thinks about you. And I was like, Holy Spirit, but I just really want to punch him. (laughs) And listen, the Holy Spirit said this. He said, Nick, I want you to know that I'm doing something. I know you're offended by what he said, but I want you to know that he listened to you. Like for this gentleman, this might be the first time He has ever listened to a person of color. And, Nick, I want you to understand that it's bigger than just this conversation. See, Nick, out of all the people in the world that I could have brought to Cairo, Georgia, I could have brought someone that looked exactly like the people in the room. I could have done that. But I'm doing something, Nick, that's bigger than social constraints or the color of skin. I'm doing something much bigger, and I'm choosing you to be a part of what I'm doing. See, I'm going to display my glory and my gospel, and I'm going to let this gentleman know that it doesn't matter the container in which it's in, only the gospel that comes out. And I... And so, you know, and, and I, said, I said, thank you. I said, thank you. That, Thank you. It was kind of like a stanky thank you. Like, yeah, thank you. But I, but I said thank you. But here's the deal. So Peter is having this moment with these Gentiles where he has judged them. He has thought less of them. And then God gives him a vision that says, hey, Peter, it's not about food. 
I know you're thinking less of them because you view them as unclean, but don't you dare call anything unclean that I have deemed clean. What God says is don't you dare call them those people because those people are my people. And so you don't get to say that anymore, Peter. What you are called to do, Peter, is to display my gospel. And my gospel doesn't care where you're from, what color you are, how much money you have in the bank. It's for you because at the foot of the cross is an equal ground. And you know, I'm telling you, like, in that moment, as I'm, as I'm reading Acts 10, I'm going, man, God is so good at stepping into uncomfortable things because the gospel does something. It changes things. When Brady and I were having a conversation before I came here, you know, one of the things important, I got to look out for my family. My wife is melanin deficient, everybody. She's as peachy as they come. And my kids, man, they're this beautiful mocha mix kind of just glorious frappuccino, right? That's what I. And y'all, and I'm, in case you could tell, I'm just chocolate, all right? And so, so I'm having this conversation with Brady, and I'm going, hey, Brady, like, here's the deal, man. Like, uh, we are looking for a place where we can come, we can get roots, we want to see God move. But, and I asked him this question. I said, so what do you think your people will think about me and my family? That was the question. Because, guys, I've been a lot of places where people think all kinds of things because of my family dynamic. And so I said, Brady, what do you think? And, and Brady, and he might didn't say it exactly like how I'm going to tell you he said it, but in my head he said it this way. He said, Nick, here's the deal. He's like, man, I think my people will be fine. But even if they're not, it's going to be okay. And I thought, man, I like this guy. Because here's the thing I loved. He was most concerned not with the color of my skin, but the content of my character. And so because of that, I thought to myself, you know what? We could do something. I could work with a guy like that. And I love the fact that we are able to, as the church, to display what the kingdom of God is going to look like. Like when God had this idea of people and humanity and his church, we were the ones that said, hey, we're going to separate by this. We're going to separate by that. We're going to separate by this. But God said, no, everyone is invited to my table. Everybody. It doesn't matter what you struggle with. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where you're from culturally. And it doesn't matter if you have money or don't have money. What matters is that you are mine and I love you. And if you are willing to take your seat at the table, you are invited to dine. Yo, I love that. I love that is what kind of God we have. But here's the thing, let's be honest. Who are your, those people? Because I think if we're really honest with ourselves, and you don't have to say that out loud, but I think if we're really honest with ourselves, I think we all struggle with who those people are. We all have people that we go, oh, I'm not going to befriend them, or oh, I'm not going to invite them to church. They probably will say no, or mm, I'm just not going to do the thing. But when you have been changed by the gospel, you have to drop those from in front of people. Because the ultimate question is this. It's not about even who are those people to you. The question is even bigger than that. It's do you love God? Because, and we all are like, yes, I love God. But here's the thing I'm learning, that as I love God, there is evidence to support the fact that I love my king. 
Just like there is evidence for you men out there that love your wives. There's evidence to the fact that you love her. And so if we love God, there has to be evidence of that. That's kind of just a natural response. I love God, so here's how I live in reflection of who God is. It says this in 1 John 4, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. If we are a people who love God, we love the people God loves. And maybe you are not there in that process, but listen, step into the process. Maybe for some of us, we got to go, hey, Lord, I need to be real with you and I need to repent of some things. Repent of those things. Right now is a moment for you to take a new next step. Acts 10, second part of 23. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. I love that. Verse 27. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. Peter went into this Gentile's house. See, Peter went from being willing to action. Like sometimes we talk, hey, God, I'm willing to be obedient, but you're not really obedient until you take a step. And so Peter could have very much like talked about, yeah, okay, Gentiles are now clean because God loves them and he, he died for them too. But he took a step and walked into the house. He moved from being willing to action, verse 28. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with our, or visit the Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Here's what Cornelius said. We are ready to say yes to Jesus. And hear me on this. The Holy Spirit always goes before your step of obedience. Always. Know this, if the Holy Spirit is prompting you and God is calling you to something, no, he has already gone before you. He is already making a way where there not, was no way. He's just going, are you going to say yes? And once you say yes, you're walking in the path that has already been blazed by the Spirit of God. But the question is, are you willing to say yes? And let me tell you, I'm not going to tell you that that step is easy, but that step is best because of whom you're following. And you're going to get to the place 
that God has for you. And trust me on this, it is a better place than you doing it yourself. And I'm just going to be real with you. Like, how many times have you decided that you're going to do it your way and it not go well? So maybe it is time for you to take a step of obedience and go the way in which God has called you to go. And I guarantee you it will go much, much better. We're going to finish up with these last few verses. Then Peter began to speak. Peter is about to open up his mouth, and the Spirit of God is going to take his words and allow it to plant seeds in the hearts of everyone in this house. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on the cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by the witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter said the gospel invites everybody to dine at the king's table. Why is it important that we go across the street and around the world? Because God loves people across the street and around the world. And he wants to use his people, his church. He wants to unleash his church to display his love and display what his eternal kingdom is going to look like. And he's chosen to use you and I, people who were once broken, People who once had hang-ups, people who once may have viewed people with a negative eye and a negative bend, but because we have been invited to dine at the king's table, we're going to invite everyone we can to dine at the king's table. If you have breath in your lungs, you're invited. If you are short, tall, you're invited. If you're more round than you should be or you should eat some more food, you're invited. If you're brown, if you're white, if you're red, whatever color you are, he wants to move his church not based on the color of people's skin, but he wants to take it to technicolor, y'all. We're all God's people are represented. Why? Because we're all invited to dine at the table of the king. And we invite whoever it is around us to dine and to experience this life-changing gospel. Because we have been changed by the gospel, and so we want to invite whoever we can to sit next to us and dine and know that if you eat at the king's table, you are now a son and daughter of the king. And the thing that unites us is far greater than anything that can separate us. I invite you to bow your heads for me. Jesus, thank you 
Thank you that your word is relevant. Thank you that your word is able to reach in the darkest places, in the hidden places. Thank you that you have invited people who were far from you. And while yet we were still sinning, you died for us. And you didn't care what we were doing. You don't care where we were from. You said, you know what? This offering is for all who will accept it. And you invited each and every one of us to dine at your table. May we dine at your table and invite all that we can to eat with us and eat until we are full. Because when we dine at the king's table, we are changed by the meal. And we can't help ourselves but to share that meal with others. So, Father, maybe for some in this room today or watching online, maybe today is the day where we accept our seat at your table. And we'll have some friends down front that will walk you through that. Maybe today is the day where we repent of some things. Maybe we haven't invited all to the table. But today is the day where we're going to begin inviting whoever will listen to Don at the table of the king. In Jesus, when we do that, when we dine together at your table as family, we give off the aroma of your gospel that is intriguing to all who smell it. So Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your goodness. And thank you that it is finished and the price has been paid. And because of that, we can be united around your table. And we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.